to try and cover three different books of the Bible. You know, we often have a hard time covering one, but I'd like to get through the Old Testament, and we're going to start with the, uh, the New Testament as we search the Scriptures and talk about Christ of the book. Christ says, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. In Genesis, he's creator. In Exodus, he's deliverer. And we go all the way through the scripture. Well, today I want us to look at Proverbs. I want us to look at Ecclesiastes. And I want us to look at the Song of Solomon. We sort of skipped over those chronologically as we wanted to put the prophets where they belonged in declaring the truth of God's word uh, during the kings. But we're going to go back to Proverbs, to uh, Ecclesiastes, to the Song of Solomon. Proverbs, I recommend to you as a daily devotional, especially you men, I recommend the book of Proverbs to you as a daily devotional. There are 31 Proverbs. Most months have 31 days, and the ones that didn't have 31 days uh, have 30, except for February uh, 28, but you can just have to double up on that. But if you would take a month and read a proverb as your devotion. I am telling you, there are great blessings, great knowledge, great understanding in doing that. So imagine if you would dedicate a year to doing that. After, after no, start in November, when you're done with November, uh, uh, start over again in December, and then do the same in January, in February, March, April. If you would read a proverb each and every day during a month, by the end of the year, you will have saturated yourself in an amazing book and things that we need to know and understand. Someone once said, well, don't understand why the book of Proverbs has a Proverbs 31 for women. We talk about a Proverbs 31 woman all the time. Well, I'm here to tell you, men, you have 31 Proverbs. So we need to be 31 Proverbs, 31 Proverbs men. And it's a, a study that we need to take on. All of these books, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, written by Solomon. And you know the story from God's Word. He was, number one, the son of David and Bathsheba. Uh, he is the one that prayed and ask God for an understanding heart. Look at 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Starting with verse 3. 1 Kings 3, 3. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Look down to verse 9. This is Solomon's prayer. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because you have asked this thing, and you have not asked for thyself long life, neither have you asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of thy enemies, but you've asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. 
Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. Look at 1 Kings 4, verse 29. 1 Kings 4, 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. So from God's word, we understand that Solomon was the wisest man who has ever lived. He is the one who has written the majority of the Proverbs. The last two, perhaps, were not by Solomon. I personally believe that they both were. Uh, they're just different names, especially Lemuel. Uh, the last one, I think, was, was Solomon. And so here he writes all of these Proverbs, the wisest man that's ever lived, and the key to understanding the, the, the book of Proverbs is to understand that the key word to book of Proverbs is wisdom. It's wisdom. And Christ in the book of Proverbs is the giver of wisdom. Remember James 1.5 says, If any man lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, what do you do? You ask God who gives to all men liberally. Well, that's what we are to do when it comes to needing wisdom and understanding is we ask of God. From the book of Proverbs, we find out that it is wisdom is the most important thing you can have. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom and understanding is more important than gold. It's more important than silver. It's more value, more valuable than all of those things. Look at Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8. Look at verse 11. Proverbs 10, I'm sorry. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So wisdom is the thing that we should desire. Wisdom and understanding. Chapter 8, Proverbs, it also personifies wisdom and how important it is. Verse 22 of chapter 8, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting and from the beginning forever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abiding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. So here, wisdom is personified. It is someone to be desired. It's something that we need in order to understand, I think, the Word of God, to understand life in general and what it is that we need to do in order to please God and to understand His Word. And if anyone lack wisdom, he's to ask God, who gives to all men liberally, is what the Scriptures teach us. What's the purpose of Proverbs? We'll look at Proverbs chapter 1. Starting with verse 1. 
the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. The purpose of of Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. In the book, the book of Proverbs, proceeds to share important truths with us that we need to understand. The book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, God details instructions how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs, there's not an aspect of your life that a proverb does not cover and give you instruction and direction in how to deal with certain things in life, how to deal with your wives, how to deal with your children, how to deal with government, how to deal in business, honesty, you name it, family, neighbors. The book of Proverbs deals with every aspect of your life. And as believers in the Lord Jesus, as his children, shouldn't we want to know what God's instructions are to us? That's why I encourage you to saturate yourself with the Word of God, saturate yourself with the book of Proverbs. And the reason for that is because when something comes up, when a situation arises, I guarantee you if you have been feasting and feeding on the book of Proverbs, when a situation comes up, a proverb is going to pop into your head. You're going to understand. A proverb is a comparison. It's a parallel. It's a statement that makes a poignant observation dealing with life, and it was given by the wisest man that ever lived. Now, the word wisdom literally means skill in life. The word understanding is a Hebrew word that has the meaning of discipline. Wisdom and understanding has has to do with discipline yourself to know wisdom and skillfully use that discretion, that discipline that you're supposed to get from God's Word. See, knowledge, knowledge is maybe knowing the answer. Knowledge is knowing the facts. Wisdom is uh, knowing whether or not to say it. Knowledge is knowing the facts. Wisdom is knowing whether or not you ought to say it. Understanding is that discipline to control yourself so that you don't say certain things that you shouldn't say. You know, there's a lot of truth out there, and and God's Word is very clear. We're to speak the truth, right? But how do we speak the truth? We do it in love. We speak it in love. And 
wisdom is knowing that, yes, I have truth, and yes, I should say something to this person, but we need wisdom to say, how do I present this? How do I share this truth in order that they might have understanding and know how to apply it to their lives for the glory of God? A daily digest of Proverbs will so saturate your life that your reaction is going to be automatic when a situation comes up. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 1.10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. That's pretty good, isn't it? My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thy not. All of a sudden, someone's putting a bug in your ear and wanting to do something that you know is really not pleasing to God. And all of a sudden, it kind of goes along with thy word, if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. All of a sudden, that proverb pops up. See, that's God at work. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Verse 14 and 15 says, cast in, cast in thy lot among us. If, if a if a sinner says, cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. That's a good proverb to understand. Proverbs 5, verse 21. This is a good one to know. That the ways of man are ever before the Lord. You realize that? That your ways are ever before the Lord. He knows every thought. He sees every action. Nothing is hid from God. The ways of man are ever before the Lord. Proverbs 11.1. 1, it deals with dishonest business. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. See, that's how Proverbs work all the way through. It gives us detailed instruction how we, as God's people, should look at life and conduct our lives for His glory. Proverbs eleven fourteen talks about the need for counsel. With many counselors, there's, there's wisdom. We need, there's safety in counselors. Proverbs 15, 22 tells us the same thing. Verse, chapter 11, where there's no counsel, people fall. Chapter 12, verse 14, talks about how a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Wives, you want me to repeat that? Well, I, it's okay because Solomon does a little bit later on. Psalm 14, 4, that a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. And an unvirtuous woman is rottenness to his bones. So probably need to mention that also. But a virtuous woman, 18.22, Proverbs 18.22, says the same thing about a virtuous woman and how important a virtuous wife is. And if that's not enough, Proverbs 19.14 talks about it again. You would, one of the most important aspects, one of the most important things in Proverbs is talking about the importance of a virtuous woman. Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. 
So husbands, make sure you tell your wife how much you appreciate her, how important she is to you. And it talks about a virtuous woman probably more often than anything else in the book of Proverbs, and it ends, the book of Proverbs, end in talking about who can find a virtuous woman. For her price is what? Far above rubies. And it describes that Proverbs 31 woman. See, and I think by that time Solomon really understood. He had 700 wives, ugh, 300 concubines. Solomon, what are you thinking? And he was, according to God's word, he was the wisest man that ever lived, but it was all, it was the political aspect of it and all of these pagan wives that really brought about his ruin. As a matter of fact, the, the Song of Solomon that we're going to look at real quick probably was written when Solomon was young, in his early years as king. Proverbs was written during his middle years, and Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his years when he talked about vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So the effect of these wives, as a matter of fact, that was what caused the kingdom, and we, we went through that in our study of Israel, the northern kingdom, Samaria, and Judah, the southern kingdom, both of them ending up going into captivity, God dividing the kingdoms. It was because of Solomon's sin. It was because of his unfaithfulness that God did that, that he ripped the kingdom away from Solomon. It's because of his sin. He was the smartest man that ever lived. And we read these smart, wise sayings and, and pray for understanding as we go through that. But the bottom line is, without God in your heart, without the Lord Jesus saving you, without belonging to him, there is no understanding. why we need him God's word continues in the Proverbs Proverbs 14 29 encourages us to be slow to wrath slow to wrath how important is that he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding but he that is hasty of spirit exalts folly the one that I'm most reminded of is Proverbs 15.1. The one that, well, yeah, I am most reminded of that, but that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the reminding. That a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. If you don't listen, if you don't read any other Proverbs, Make sure you understand this one, that a soft answer turns away wrath. Folks, it works. It is God's word. It works. A soft answer turns away wrath. I have tested it many times, both ways, and I can tell you that a soft answer turns away wrath. I can tell you that grievous words stir up anger. And I could give you lots of examples, but then you'd think less of your preacher, so I'm not going to do it. And some just recently, but I'm not going to share those. But God knows. Proverbs 14, 34. Oh, that this nation understand this proverb, 
that it's righteousness, righteousness that exalts a nation. Our nation is in serious trouble, not just serious trouble, in serious decline. Serious decline. And you know why? Because this nation is no longer righteous. It's this nation, it really surprises me. And the only reason why it hasn't happened yet is because we as believers, we stand firm. But even to pledge allegiance, one nation under God, you wouldn't surprise me to see that yanked out of the Pledge of Allegiance. Because we are not a righteous nation anymore. But it's, right, it, but it's righteousness that exalts a nation. Boy, do we need to remember that. Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. Isn't that amazing? Proverbs 23, 17, Proverbs 21, 1, talks about don't envy sinners. Am I the only one that has a problem with that sometimes? Yeah, you see the guy that you know is lost and he's got a nice bass boat and he's pulling it with a nice Ford F-150. He's pulling it with a Chevy. I pray for him. I feel sorry for him. But if it's a Ford, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. But we're not to envy sinners. To pray for them. Because what, what we have is so far greater than what they have. Proverbs 27, 1 and 2 basically says, let another man praise you. Don't do it yourself. Don't toot your own horn. I think that's a good one that we need to apply. If anybody's going to praise you, let it not be you. Let somebody else toot your horn. Let somebody else say those things. What so That's scriptural. Proverbs 27, 17 talks about iron sharpening iron and how true that is. But even in that iron sharpening iron, people listen, still no excuse to be cruel or demeaning. Amen? Iron sharpens iron, but that means both parties are doing what's necessary to sharpen that other person, to skillfully work with them in order, in order for them to know what it is that God's plan and purpose is for their life. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Iron sharpens iron. You don't take iron as a club. You take it as a sword. And that is something we need to understand. And on it goes. Last one, and I, I encourage you to read all of those, but we're not going to get through Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. In Proverbs, the Lord is the giver of wisdom. He is the giver of wisdom. And He is not going to steer you wrong. Then we come to Ecclesiastes. Same author. author. Same author. The key word in Proverbs was wisdom. The key word in Ecclesiastes is vanity. Vanity. It has to do with the futility of life. 
nothing new under the sun. Under the sun, it's, life is futile. It almost doesn't sound like the same man. I've even had some people say, well, Ecclesiastes shouldn't be in the Bible. Oh, yes, it should be. The book of Ecclesiastes demonstrates what the carnal, natural man would think, even with his successes, even with the, his discoveries, even with the best things in life, without God. It is vanity. The book of Ecclesiastes basically describes life without a relationship with the true and living God. This book portrays the emptiness, the perplexity of life without a relationship with God. The book of Ecclesiastes represents man who's left to his own devices. And when he's allowed sin to come in and have its sway and way in their life. Ecclesiastes 2.18 basically talks about the fact that you're going to work all your life and all you're going to do is leave it. The author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, was not a happy camper. And do you know why? It's because sin was running rampant in this man's life. This these are the ideas, these are the direction and the instruction of a man who had fallen away from the God who loved him. This book describes a man who is in an intense search for truth, and it had been there all along, but for somehow, for some reason, he had forgotten it. It describes things that, that a man in the midst of all the absurdities that were put forth by natural man. The book of Ecclesiastes should be there because it describes the natural man. It describes the lost man. It describes the man who really has no hope. And even though the book of Ecclesiastes talks about the fact that well, here's the sum of it all. You, you just serve God. You believe in God. But there's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no enthusiasm about knowing God. As a matter of fact, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter, chapter 1, 1 through 3. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he hath taken under the sun? Solomon in his last years is pretty much... Uh, it almost sounds as if he'd given up. Verse 14 of chapter 1, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And it ends the same way. Look at Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12. Verse 8. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. He starts out talking about vanity or the futility of life. He goes through all of the things that he, he discusses in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
And he ends with vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know what the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us? We need God. We need the Lord Jesus to provide joy and gladness and hope and purpose. Here was the richest, the most, the wealthiest, the most famous, the wisest king who's ever lived. He had everything. Yet he had nothing when he came to the end of his life. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's good advice. But to keep his commandments because you love him. That doesn't sound like a man that has a relationship with a true and living God. It sounds like you, you do it uh, it, you're just reciting something. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The book of Ecclesiastes is empty of joy. It's empty of joy, and it's deep, and it's philosophical, but it's empty of the joy that God provides, and I think that's the purpose you take the book of Ecclesiastes and you hold it up. You take the book, any other book of the Bible that talks, Psalms, that talks about the joy of the Lord, the rejoicing in the Lord, the strength of the Lord, that is so exalting of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord God. And Ecclesiastes is such a stark contrast. Matter of fact, I forgot what I said that Ecclesiastes is. The longing hope. That, that's the only thing I could come up with. The book of Ecclesiastes. Christ is the longing hope. That's exactly what it is. As I read through Ecclesiastes, as I study it, he is that longing hope. The Song of Solomon. Wish we had more time to get into that, but I'm telling you, In the Song of Solomon, Christ is the beloved shepherd. Song of Solomon is a play. It has seven different characters. It's a play, and it's really difficult to understand unless you play it out, and you have each character properly named. But here, Solomon is pursuing this Shulamite maiden who's beautiful, who have brothers who are trying to protect her. It's King Solomon that is trying to woo her away from the beloved, her beloved shepherd. A young shepherd that she's met, that she's fallen in love with. And the whole book of Sol the Song of Solomon is about faithfulness, it's about fidelity, it's about truthfulness, it's about true love. And the King Solomon does everything he can to try to woo her away. He even carries her to his palace and he, she looks at all the pomp and all the, the glories that are going around, and she still longs for the one that she truly loves, the good shepherd. 
And at the end, her fidelity pays off as King Solomon finally says, hey, I give up. I'm not going to woo. I'm not going to woo you away from that true love. And she is reconnected with her true love. It's an intimate story. It's a story of love. It's a story of who our good shepherd is, the Lord Jesus. Nothing should cause us to be unfaithful to him. He is the good shepherd. So in Proverbs, we have the giver of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, we have the one who provides hope. And even though he's not mentioned there, when you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the conclusion you have to come to. In the Song of Solomon, Christ is the beloved shepherd the one who loves us so much, the one who's going to be faithful to us, and even when the world takes us away, even when something leads us astray, that beloved shepherd is going to be there and embrace us and love us and take us back when we return. What a tremendous, loving, merciful God we serve who's given us His Word to show us what He expects of those who love Him, who love His Word, who desire to walk in faithfulness, who desires to walk in truth that they might live their lives serving Him. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, we've covered all of those. And we see Christ of the book. He is the living word. We embrace him as the living word. And we thank him for being the living word. And just as this book, the written word, tells us who God is, it describes his his glory, it describes His character, it describes His attributes. If you want to know who the true and living God, the creator of the universe is, you've got to know this book. But if you want to know that God personally, you have to know the living Word, which is Jesus Christ. He is the living Word. Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared him. The Greek there is revealed. He is the one who's revealed the Father. That's what he told Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll suffice. What did Christ say to Philip? 
you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know the Lord Jesus, you know God. If by faith you've trusted Christ, then you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for that perfect salvation. We thank you for loving us the way you do. We thank you for your word, how it instructs us, how it provides information about how a believer is to live their life, conduct their life. But Father, serve you. We thank you for your word. Father, may each and every one of us be students. May we search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. Father, may we understand that your word is to be understood. Father, that this is your written word for us to study. Father, may we understand that it's not all to us as the body of Christ, but it is all for us. And we must faithfully, diligently study your word to show ourselves approved unto you. Father, we are thankful for what it reveals to us about you. And we bow in appreciation and in love and in thanksgiving for that perfect salvation that we have in Christ. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that, Father, they will not leave this building without first, by faith, believing that you died for them, was, were buried for them, resurrected for them. Father, may the Holy Spirit just convict them of their overwhelming need of you. Father, teach us that it's not what we do, it's not our, be- it's not our deeds, it's not what we can do to earn, for that salvation has already been paid for through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.